0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday and welcome. Good morning. Please turn to number 93 and we'll begin our worship with O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing.
1: call to worship this morning. Good,
2: morning. Good morning. Good morning. Psalm to worship this morning is Psalm 25, 1 through 6, and 16 through 18. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses for they have been ever of old. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Amen. Amen.
1: That's an excellent psalm uh, written by David. Let us continue uh, to worship the Lord and let us sing this with great gratitude. Number 479 God leads us along. 479. In shady green pastures, so rich
0: and so.
1: God, we've gathered here this morning to worship you, for you are truly worthy of our praise. And as that song declares, even in sorrows and difficulties, whenever they come, our hope, our anchor, our rock is you and your amazing, strong love. Shown through your son, Jesus Christ, to whoever will respond to your grace and turn to him in faith. So we pray you'd help us to black out all the distractions that could lead us astray. Please focus our hearts fully on you and the Lord Jesus Christ as we worship you this morning. And we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. And Amen. All right, let us um, take our uh, bulletin inserts and pray together our prayer of confession. O most great, most just, and gracious God, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, but you have promised mercy through Jesus Christ to all who repent and believe in him. Therefore, we confess that we are sinful by nature and that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have neglected and abused your holy worship and your holy name. We have dealt unjustly and uncharitably with our neighbors. We have not sought first your kingdom and righteousness, and we have not been content with our daily bread. You have revealed your wonderful love to us in Christ and offered us pardon and salvation in Him, but we have turned away. We have run into temptation, And the sin that we should have hated, we have committed. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. We confess you alone are our hope. Make us your children and give us the spirit of your Son, our only Savior. Amen. Amen. And we can take great comfort in the words the Apostle John wrote late in life to scattered and persecuted Christians. And this was what he was inspired to write. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this reminds me of what Paul said. He's able to do above and beyond whatever we could ask or even imagine or expect. Let us continue to worship God with two songs, number 290, Our God Reigns, and number 371, Reach Out to Jesus. you win I just want to say here, if you have access to the internet later this afternoon, do a search on Ralph Carmichael, but be sure to type in pastor in Philadelphia, and you'll read the story about the amazing man that composed this and many other worship songs. Well, now it's time for the reading of God's word this morning.
2: Scripture this morning. Is Psalm one thirteen and some from Saint Luke. Praise ye the Lord, praise O ye servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. And this is St. Luke fifteen eight to 10. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece... Doth not light a candle, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise I say unto you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth.
1: Amen, amen. And now uh, let us take our songbooks, but let's go way in the back to number 626 and let's recite the Nicene Creed together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, life from life, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Yes, amen. And now um, let us go to that God that we just um, confessed in faith. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Yahweh, we thank you for your word and that it stretches us to have more comprehension of your incomprehensible nature. And today, we are considering both your poetry and a parable of Jesus. It is through images, turns of phrases, and stories that we can relate to our daily experiences, all these things that we can better know and understand you, your works, and your will. Please, both by the time we hear your final good word, and in the weeks to come, may we be moved to awe over you. And may we be motivated by the Holy Spirit to live lives more pleasing to you in all of our thoughts, feelings, desires, attitudes, and actions. And may your will, good, acceptable, and perfect, be done in our lives, both together and when we are alone. We pray for your justice, tempered with love, to be done all around this world. In Ukraine, Russia, Nicaragua, Nigeria, North Korea, China, and North America, also in Latin America, Europe, and Australia. And as we will come to know from a a deeper investigation into Psalm 113, you most often work from the bottom up. And so, while we pray for leaders, we pray even more for your humble servants to be more like Jesus who came to be the servant of all. And please help all your people to realize that only as we love in your practical, life-giving, life-changing love will people be willing to listen to your words through us. Only your anger against sin is truly righteous. So may others see in us your joy and peace as we live your way before them. Because most of the time, actions do indeed speak louder than words. So may the people who are lost and without Jesus realize what they are missing and so desperately need in and through us That they may turn away from the worship of me, of talking about my body when they are speaking about a different person who is in their womb, and talking about my gender when they think you have made a mistake, or about my lifestyle which is only leading them and us into depression and despair. And we pray for our cell in your body. We pray for Elin as she has decisions to make. We pray for her granddaughter, Rebecca, and one-year-old Ella. We pray for Allie for continued healing in her body. We pray for her family. We pray for Cindy and Jeff, and Shane and Cindy. We pray for Pat's family and friends, especially John. We pray for our brother Ray. We pray for Ken and Peter, Linda, Billy, their whole family, Charlie and Jenny. Father, we pray for uh, Carol and Al and their family, and Noel and Darren and, and their family and friends. Father, we pray for your word in our hearts. Please give me right words to explain, interpret, and apply your word. And please work by the Holy Spirit in each and every heart that hears your word this morning. You know, um, I thank you once again that when our words run out and we get kind of dry, that Jesus has given us a short model prayer that touches on everything that's important in our lives with you. So we pray it together with one heart and one voice. Pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil for thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever amen And now, uh, before we uh, do a deep dive into God's Word, let us sing, People Need the Lord. The words are on the back of your bulletin insert, and I really feel this is a song we should sing more often. Us, all of us. And kind of jumping off from that, people are limited. (laughs) Even the best people working together to do good to their fellow human beings eventually get to a point where their progress just absolutely stops. Oh, uh, on rare occasions, They will reach their goal, but even then, setbacks happen. Setbacks that often lead to frustration and the breaking of even the best and the brightest. Now, both philosophers and fables observe that people of more limited resources are generally more content with their lives and more able to experience joy than would-be philanthropists, which is Greek for lover of mankind, um, more than they can do with all of their vast resources. Now, this truth is behind the Beatitudes that Jesus gave as the introduction to his most famous sermon, which was his inaugural address of the kingdom. And he said, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All of this done to those that most people would consider to be losers. And Isaiah was inspired by God to write a whole chapter about how God, who is much greater than his creation, yet, yet, he will freely and graciously quench both thirst and hunger of those who seek him so that they will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That's a summary of chapter 55. Now, the psalm that we are considering as our main text brings out one of the amazing and beautiful paradoxes of God. I love that word. It so describes God. Namely, the exalted creator and Lord of the vast universe, whose glory is beyond human understanding, is also the one who looks, stoops down with compassion on the poor and needy to lift them up to himself and make them, cause them to be volunteers with him as he builds his kingdom on earth. Now, this is only possible for those who are in Jesus by repentance from human pride to childlike, humble faith. So let us now dig deeper into our Bible passages. We'll start with Psalm 113. Now the first half of this Psalm can be summed up quite quickly. It is about the greatness of the exalted and glorious God. And within this, we have two parts. The introduction is calling upon his servants to praise his name and bless him eternally with daily praise. So the very first words of this psalm, two words in Hebrew is you all must praise Yah. Now, literally, if I'm pronouncing this right, Hebrew can be difficult sometimes, it's hallelujah, anglicized hallelujah. This short command begins and ends this psalm. Now, this psalm, 113 through 118, it was the first of six songs sung annually at the Passover, starting from the time the exiles came back from Babylon all the way up to Jesus' day and even today among devout Jews. All right, let's look at it line by line from the introduction. You all must praise servants of Yahweh. You all must praise the name of Yahweh. Now, this word is most often translated servants, but sometimes, and I would say more often than what the King James does it, it could be translated a bondservant or a slave. In fact, this is exactly what the nation of Israel was in Egypt. But in this context, the word servant used with Yahweh, with the covenant God, it can mean a worshiper. We are to worship and serve God. Now, this name, and technically it is just four consonants in English, Y-H-W-H. I heard from one of our coffee coffeehouse uh, singers probably some 18 years ago, and he's uh, half-Jewish uh, through his mother, and he was part of the Israeli Reserve Air Force. He said, rabbis he's heard think that this is actually an acronym, and it would mean translated into English, this acronym, he will be, what? He is being and... He has been. What an excellent, excellent way to think of the God who initiated this covenant with his people beginning at the burning bush when Israel was born as a nation. He said literally, I have taken you all to me, people. And I have been to you all, I gave you four references in the sermon outline. It's all beginning with God. It's a relationship. And he is taking people to be his people. And he is saying, I am, I have been, I will be your God. Continuing with the psalm, the song. It will be the name of Yahweh being blessed from now and until eternity. Now, quite simply, there's just a a small difference between blessing and praising. Bless, people bless God by bowing their knees to him. You know, sometimes I think maybe we should have kneelers here too. And praise means directing words to him, words of boastful shouts for all that he is. And then this phrase, from now until eternity, it is a poetic way to say, forever we will bow to the covenant God And boast to him so that all people will hear our boasting. The psalm writer continues. From the place of rising, signifying the east, of the sun until the going down of it. It is being praised the name of Yahweh. Here we have the name again. And this line, these two lines combining to one full line, it's more about time than location. He's not talking about the east. But what God's covenant people are saying, his name will be praised by them every waking moment. From the first rays of the day until light fades away. Now it gets very particular in its description of God, that He is high above people, inglorious, unique, and dwelling on high. There's no more set of adjectives and words about the amazing qualities of God. So the people pray in this song, he has been raised above all nations, Yahweh, above the heavens, his glory. So the covenant God is far above all people and all nations on earth. This also comes out in Psalm 97. And his glory is above the vast universe he created. Scientists will tell us the diameter is some 26 (laughs) billion light years. I can't even imagine that. God is awesome, both in his exaltation and his glory as creator over all he created. And now the first half of this psalm concludes with this. Who is like Yahweh, God of us, making himself high to sit? Now, uh, this is a rhetorical question. And again, the anglicized first word is Micah, which corrupts the Hebrew Yah, which means who is like Yahweh. Now, it's a rhetorical question, which poetry does, with a very, very obvious answer. Who? No one at all. Anywhere, anytime. He's unique. He is amazing. He sits higher than anyone or anything he has created. He is the sovereign king of all he has made, sitting on his throne, which he also made. Bottom line, the first half of this psalm is all about the glorious greatness of the eternal, all-powerful, exalted Creator. And now it like flips on a dime. The whole tone of this praise psalm song changes. And in the second half, we hear how God humbles himself, stoops down to lift up and care for the lowest of people on earth. And we'll see how this ties in with Jesus' parable, that heaven rejoices when one sinner turns to God. So the last half of this psalm, we can sum it up. God humbles himself through heaven to earth in order to lift up poor and needy people to be noble volunteers, and he also makes a barren woman to be a joyful mother of children. So let's hear these words about God's grace, making himself low to look in the heavens and in the earth. Now, making himself low. You heard the King James version, which translated this rare word only five times, In the 39 books of the Tanakh, what we call the Old Testament, it's a very rare word. They translated it as humbling himself. And that's an accurate translation. But in modern English vernacular, the New International Version hits the mark. It says, who stoops down? What a contrast, people. What a beautiful, beautiful paradox. The God who was just proclaimed in praise as exalted and glorious above all is now declared to be the God who stoops down to look all the way to the surface of the earth that he created He created it for people to be stewards of for him because he made them in his image. This is a marvelous truth, and it should be our greatest comfort. God stoops down. Okay, continuing. He himself is making to rise from the dust the poor, from the ash heap. He will make to rise the needy, which could also be translated as a beggar. People, I, I, I am so grateful that John DeBrine used to play sermons from Jim Simbola at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in Brooklyn, New York. And he did this in the um, late 80s and early 90s. And thanks to Pastor Simbola, I learned that the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner refugee, all of these are God's specially chosen and protected people. In this psalm, his people declare in their worship of him that God will raise and lift these people up from the dust and the ash heap, the most inhospitable Of all conditions, all locations. So, the bottom line up to this point is that the greatest and highest God is also very near the most overlooked people of all. He will show them compassion and care for them by lifting them up. And he did this twice for the nation of Israel. The very first time was when he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And when the Psalter was put together about the 4th century B.C., the second great thing he had done was he had brought back the remnant of those that had been exiled to Babylon Let's stop here. Let's bring it forward to us this morning, to all who are hearing me. We must understand and praise God for his eternal covenant to those that he has chosen because they were made poor and needy. That's a grace from God. We must praise and thank God that God stoops down. So whenever we feel like we're nothing, like we've hit bottom, like we're rejected, remember the all-powerful, almighty God will stoop down to us. And then they continue to make to sit with princes with the princes of the people of him. Now, when I research this word in my lexicons, the root of this word means to be willing to do deeds of noble character. Some translations use nobles instead of princes. And if we lived in Tennessee, we would be proud to say these are volunteers. Volunteers. The volunteer stay. Now, this word is used twice in the song of Deborah. And Deborah means be, but it's taken from the word Debar, which means word, in the sense of a sharp and stinging word. And then Barak, whose name meant lightning and who was the general of the people in that time, they sang this song to Yahweh. After Yahweh had used them to lead willing and noble volunteers from five tribes Ephraim, Benjamin, Machir, which was the grandson of Manasseh on the west side of the Jordan, Zebulun, and Issachar, they fought with. Barak and Deborah against the kings of Canaan. But in that same chapter and the narration before it, we find out that the tribes of Reuben, Gilead, uh, Machir's son, who lived on the other side, the eastern side of the Jordan, Dan and Asher, four tribes, selfishly stayed home. So from this and understanding that God is looking for volunteers. Let us desire to be noble volunteers in God's spiritual battles. There is spiritual warfare raising. We even prayed about it earlier, just as those five tribes who followed Barak and Deborah to participate in God's victory over the kings of Canaan. And then the very last verse in the concluding command, making abiding the barren of the house, the mother of children glad, joyfully, Yah must praise Yah. Now we can think of examples immediately coming to mind. There were three barren women who were enabled Yahweh to bear children. In fact, it was three successive generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. But I believe this refers to Hannah. I'll pronounce it the Hebrew way. We call her Hannah. Her name means grace, the mother of Samuel. Now she had been taunted by Elkanah's other Wife, And so at the tabernacle, she prayed in desperation right near Eli the priest who overheard her. And then when she had given birth to Samuel and dedicated him to Yahweh by bringing him to Eli to be trained up to be a priest after he had been weaned, They kept coming back every year for the festivals as good, faithful Jews. And Eli would prophesy every year to Elkanah and Hannah. He will appoint Yahweh to the offspring instead of Samuel. And then at the end of 1 Samuel 2, we're told that Hannah went on to become the mother of three sons Two daughters, God gave her five more children. I'm sure when they sang this final line, all the devout Israelites were thinking of Hannah. You see, the covenant God, the all-powerful covenant God raises up the lowly, and we must always appreciate how wonderful God is. He is the only exalted and glorious one who also humbles himself or stoops down to graciously lift up those who are poor and needy on earth. God stoops down. And now let us go look at this parable Of Jesus, or at least a portion of it. There's three parts to the whole parable. And uh, I think this gives us the bottom line because the Israelites and the Jews, they were powerless to do this song that they were singing and to respond to God's grace. But Jesus tells a parable of a woman having joy when she finds 10% of her wealth. And in this parable, he's really declaring to us and wanting us to understand how much joy there is before God when one sinner repents. So Jesus says, or what woman, drachmas having 10, if she may lose drachma, one. Not, she is lifting a candle, And she is sweeping the house, and she's seeking carefully until she finds which drachma she may find. Now, a drachma was equivalent to a denarius. Same coin, different languages. It was a day's wage. So she had saved almost two weeks' wages. In our world today, where five times eight hours, a 40-hour week, it would be fully two. But they had six-day work weeks. But she's lost 10% of her margin. But as that word 10% hit me, I'm thinking, oh, maybe she's really concerned because she's lost her tithe. So Jesus said she would go to great lengths to carefully search for what she lost. And just as in the psalm we just looked at, Jesus is telling a parable with a rhetorical question. Of course she will do this. And then he says, and having find it, she's calling together her friends and neighbors saying, you all must be rejoiced together with me because I have found the drachma which I had lost. So her finding that lost coin, it just meant so much to her that she called together the important people in her life, friends, neighbors, and maybe family. She was insisting that they share in her joy. We know people like this. There are people who have their joy increased when they can share it with others. Jesus presents this woman favorably in his parable because her attitude of sharing joy is pleasing to God. So as part of being in the image of God, people are excited and joyful When they find that which is lost and they want to share this joy with people with whom they have a close relationship. And now here's the bottom line and and, and really the answer to everything we've been considering this morning. Jesus says, likewise, I'm saying to you all. It is being joy in the presence of the angels, which is a transliteration of a Greek word, meaning messengers of God over one sinner repenting. So spiritual created beings around God's throne are experiencing joy when people respond to God's grace in Jesus. When one sinner... One sinner begins to continually repent, turn from himself and his way of thinking, feeling, and desiring to seek God in God's will. In everything that he does, all heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices over one repentant sinner. And now let me just give you four New Testament examples, three of which involve Peter. And we consider this on Pentecost Sunday. When people who heard Peter's Pentecost sermon asked what they could do, his very first command to them was, you all must repent. Repent. And then a little bit later, after God healed a lame man in the temple courts, in the name of Jesus, Peter addressed the crowd and reminded them that they had crucified Jesus, so they must repent and turn to God so that their sins would be wiped out and times of refreshing would come. And then Paul was testifying to Agrippa that when he was on the road to Damascus to capture and torture and maybe kill Christians, he obeyed God who appeared to him, Jesus, who is God, by preaching to the nations. And that was his whole life's mission from that day forward. They should repent and be worthy of The repentance works practicing, trust and obey. And then Peter's second and last letter in the final chapter explains that God's heart desires all people might be saved through repentance. These are the words that Peter wrote in verse 8. God is not desiring any to perish, but all into repentance to come. That's God's greatest desire. Whenever any sinner repents, one more person has crossed over from perishing in sin to having life in Jesus. So here's our final application. And, and, and I confess that almost every morning I pray to God and I say, I don't think I'm doing enough. But let us pray and work that all will repent of whatever is in their lives that requires repentance. And may we do our part in that as volunteers because God in all heaven Rejoice. That's Jesus' word. Heaven rejoices over one repentant sinner. So let me just summarize this quickly. Servants of the covenant God are exhorted to praise his name and daily bless him as the one who is highly exalted above all he has made and who dwells in glory. And yet he humbles himself, stoops down to look through the heavens to see the poor and needy on earth, to lift them up to be his volunteers. And this causes great joy in heaven over all who repent and come to him in humble, dependent faith. This is a song of joy and orientation. Let us thank God because God stoops down even when we're at our lowest. Well, speaking of helping others to have this experience, let us conclude singing number 322, I Love to Tell the Story. from the latter part of the gospel according to Matthew where he tells us Jesus called them together and said you know that in this world kings are tyrants and officials lorded over the people beneath them but among you it should be quite different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. And let us close our worship with the chorus, In the Name of the Lord, which is number 19.